You're listening to Evolution Digital, how businesses across industries have adapted to ensure continued success in today's digital marketplace. I'm Tracy Sheckel. Today, Evolution Digital heads to Missouri. I'm Tracy Sheckel, and for this episode, I'm happy to hand over the mic to Kendra Carter, Otelco's digital marketing strategist. Kendra will be chatting with some folks in Arrow Rock, Missouri. Welcome back. My name is Kendra Carter. I'm the digital marketing strategist at Otelco, and I'm excited to be guest hosting this week's podcast. We will continue to explore the digital evolution with our guests by talking to them about how technology has changed day-to-day business in their industries. Today, I'm happy to have two guests joining us from Arrow Rock, Missouri. I'm pleased to welcome Quinn Gresham, who is the producing artistic director of the Arrow Rock Lyceum Theater, as well as Sandy Selby, executive director of the Friends of Arrow Rock. To get started, both of your organizations have a 60-year history in Arrow Rock, which is a very historic town. So that really uniquely positions you both inside this digital boom that we've experienced in the last couple years. Sandy, I wanted to start with you. Could you give us just a brief history of Arrow Rock and what the Friends of Arrow Rock do for the town? Well, Arrow Rock is located on the intersection of the Missouri River and the Santa Fe Trail. And so that really made it an excellent place to plant a town. And it was established in 1829. But Lewis and Clark had noted the area when they came by. It uh, is situated on a bluff high above the Missouri River. So it was protected here, but convenient to river traffic, and so uh, the town sprang up pretty quickly after it was established, and at its height, had about a 1,000 people who lived here. Uh, Some of our notable citizens included uh, George Caleb Bingham, the American artist who was noted for his paintings of the American frontier, and then we had Dr. John Sappington, who developed the use of quinine to treat malaria, so he was a very wealthy and powerful man in this region. We had three Missouri governors who came from Arrow Rock, and so the the town was really booming and doing great, but uh, some things happened. Um, They tied a lot of their economy to trade with the South, and so the Civil War undid that part of their economy, the river started to move away. And so the river port that had supplied Arrow Rock with goods and and travelers, that went away. And then there were two big fires that took out the business district, not once, but twice. So I think people were getting the hint that it was time to move on. And by the the turn of the 20th century, it was um, had declined. There really wasn't much to see here. A lot of the beautiful buildings that had been built were starting to um, deteriorate. And that was when a lot of our history turned on the decision made by the ladies of the Daughters of the American Revolution. And they decided they were going to save the J. Houston Tavern, which is one of our most historic buildings here in Arrow Rock. They got the legislature on board. The legislature purchased the building for the Daughters of the American Revolution to restore. It was the first building in Missouri purchased with public funds for historic preservation. And after that building was restored, the state went on to buy land around the building and establish the first state park here in Arrow Rock. So it was really those women who started the preservation movement here. And that movement was continued. The Daughters of the American Revolution spun off a new organization 
That was in 1959, and that was called the Friends of Arrow Rock. That's where I work. And we uh, just celebrated our 60th anniversary last year. Uh, since we were founded, we have restored 13 historic buildings, and we uh, also conduct history education programs for children and adults. So we are teaching people about life on the Missouri frontier every single day that we are we're here in Arrow Rock. That's wonderful. And what about your background, Sandy? Where do you come from, and how did you end up with the Friends of Arrow Rock? Well, kind of in a, a roundabout way. I was a magazine editor and publisher, and that was really my background. I loved history, but my my background was journalism. But my husband is a professional historic preservationist and a consultant, and so we were when we decided we wanted to move away from a larger town and we're looking for a place to go, well, Arrow Rock was perfect, especially for someone like him. And so I continued to commute from Arrow Rock to Columbia about an hour each way every day for about six years. And then this job became available, executive director of Friends of Arrow Rock. The woman who was in the role before had been here for over 30 years. I thought if I wanted this job, I better take it now because I didn't want to wait 30 years to have another chance. So it's been a wonderful experience for me. I, I love what I do. I've been able to take a lot of what I knew before about marketing and, and writing and, and that sort of work and, and um, put it into this job. But there's never a dull day here in Arrow Rock. That's great. So as these stewards of history, you guys must be uniquely positioned to see the way technology has changed the town and also change the way you guys work. Can you speak to that? Well, we do. I mean, a lot of what we do in the Friends of Iraq is try to take people back in time. So they are seeing Iraq as it was in the 1800s. So while they are in those experiences, they may not be using technology, but in order to get them here, uh, technology is increasingly important. It's it's everything to us to be able to communicate through social media. To we we have developed an app that helps people navigate if they are not using one of our professional interpreters to guide them. Every single day, we rely heavily on on that technology to be able to tell the story of Arrow Rock to people to get them to Arrow Rock even. And I think there will are opportunities that we haven't explored yet with uh, digital technology um, kiosks and things like that, that uh, maybe down the road is something that we could look at. That's really cool. Can you talk a little bit more about what the app does? So the app enables people to go from building to building and to hear a little audio explanation of what the building is and its history. One of our challenges here, uh, and one reason we rely so heavily on on Otelco and our, you know, as our provider for phone and technology services, is because we don't have good cell service here. And uh, one of the things the app does is allow people to download it uh, before they even come here, or while they have a, a good signal here, um, you know, that they can borrow our our Wi-Fi signal here and download it and then walk around the town whether or not they have good cell service and they can fully experience the app and everything that it offers. That's really cool. It's nice that you guys are using technology to bring people away from technology. So Quinn, what's your background and how did you end up in Arrow Rock at the Lyceum? 
I'll try to give you uh, the short arc. But when I was in fifth grade, um, I, I was I, I had a sort of fifth grade love, whatever that means for a fifth grader, of um, the Burley twins, uh, the two girls in my class, uh, and they were involved in the community theater in the small town in Arkansas where I grew up. And so I, I actually positioned myself to be in the room with them. And that required that I be uh, cast in South Pacific, the musical that the theater company uh, was doing at the time. And that that's how it started. Uh, w- what ended up developing from there is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not athletic in the least. Uh, so it wasn't really until I became a part of the drama club in high school or the community theater in town that I that I felt personally part of a team. So, you know, all of that is fairly selfish. I eventually developed a love for the art form uh, as I studied at Webster University in St. Louis. And while I was there, I auditioned for the Arrow Rock Lyceum Theater. So the summer after my senior year of college, uh, I came out here to work. I believe I was in eight shows that summer and fall. And then right after that, moved to New York City. And I would return on occasion to do a season here, a season there. And in 2004, there was a leadership change here in, uh, in Arrow Rock at the Lyceum. And my dear friend, Philip Caulfield, was named the new artistic director. He had been the associate artistic director for 20-plus years. And he called me. I was living in New York at the time and said, would you like to be the new associate artistic director? And I said, absolutely. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that means, but yes, I'd do anything in the world for you. What I don't really know is what that job is. And also, is it possible that I spend some of the time still in New York? I was 27, I guess, at the time, and I wasn't quite ready to give up my New York life completely. Flash forward to 2005, as the season was a about to be underway in May, and Philip, who had been living with AIDS for about 14 years at that point, uh, developed a series of complications that required him to step down from his position as artistic director. And he contacted me, he contacted the board, we all agreed that I would serve as the artistic director that year and see if we could manage a season. It was a nightmarish trial by fire I'm, uh, that that none of us were prepared for. Philip lived through January of 2006, and there really wasn't a day that he didn't talk to me on the phone I, I, when I would call and say, can you please explain this to me? I have no idea what this is. I had worked in a variety of theaters, but only really as an actor. Uh, I had directed a couple of shows, um, but my my exposure to the uh, more global uh, concept of a theater organization was was pretty limited at that point, so I had a lot to learn. At the end of 2005, the board of directors said, would you like to stay on in this position? And at that point, knowing that Philip wasn't going to be able to do the job and that I really wanted the, this theater to continue to thrive, uh, I agreed to do it. And so I've been here uh, ever since. That's very noble of you to leave New York City to help your friend. I think any opportunity to get out of New York City is probably a, a good one. Uh, it, it's interesting because now, you know, I go back to cast our shows in New York every year. I was just there a week ago. And when I first moved to Arrow Rock, I couldn't sleep at night because it was so quiet. Uh, I would have to turn on the TV and the radio in the bathroom in order to fall asleep. Now I go back to New York and the noise and energy level just absolutely drives me nuts. And I can't w- wait to get back to my quiet little house outside of Arrow Rock. 
That's fair. As a country person, I understand that. Just a little history about the Lyceum. Since it starts 60 years ago, it's come through a lot of challenges, uh, fire, the like. Um, one thing was when it started, the Kansas City Power and Light had to rewire the town to bring power to the theater. Is that correct? I have heard that story. I, I will have to tell you that I wasn't here then. But yes, I, I, I have heard that story that there was no 110 service, uh, that there now is 220 service. Um, and we, we continue to have struggles. Uh, Arrow Rock is sort of at the end of the line uh, in terms of the power coming into town. And we've always had struggles with the third phase of our three-phase service. It's, it's a little mercurial. But Evergy, which is uh, formerly known as KCPNL, uh, has worked really hard with us to to make sure that the power is as good as possible. And because, you know, if if a if a tree blows down on a power line as far as 15 miles from here, we could lose power to the theater. Uh, understanding that and understanding the loss that we would incur, you know, if a show was canceled, and there was a time where we did have to do that sort of thing. Actually, the very first night in 1961 of the theater, uh, the power went out and the show didn't happen. So we have a long history of that sort of thing. But we we purchased a generator a few years ago to ensure that at least as far as the power goes, the show will go on. That is the whole thing in the theater. So can you talk to me more about the technology you guys use at the theater? Yeah, sure. It's it, it's interesting because theater uh, in its purest form doesn't require any of that. I mean, you 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 need a you need a story to tell and people to tell the story. But in terms of the actual storytelling, uh, technology has become a larger part of the form uh, from video projection, which enables uh, a scenic designer to transport the audience very quickly from one locale to another uh, in just, just by manipulating images and video on uh, projection surfaces. Also, too, the automation of scenery has become a, a major part of how the work is done these days. If you go to see a show on Broadway, you're rarely going to see an actor or pushing a set piece around. Uh, you're going to see things magically float into place. So there is a certain expectation of that level of uh, mechanical ingenuity. And beyond that, the digital revolution really on our end has been the most helpful in how we reach new audience members. I'm one to opine for the days when if you needed to reach someone and they didn't answer their phone, well, you'd just have to call back again later because there wasn't even an answering machine. But in a world where word of mouth is critical, um, social media particularly has been really helpful for us to get the message out to uh, a larger audience. The, the Lyceum is, by its very nature, an improbable sort of thing and, and, and frankly suspect if you've never actually experienced it. Uh, we are located in the beautiful town of Arrow Rock, which you know, boasts a population of 56 people. If you haven't visited Arrow Rock, that might sound very different from what it actually is. There are a few more beautiful places than Arrow Rock. But for there to be a major professional theater located in a town of that size, I think anybody worth their salt would say, oh, come on, there's, there, there's no way. So until someone has experienced what we do and told a friend about it, that friend is very likely to come here, or very unlikely to come here. So social media has been very helpful in, in that way. It, it, it allows our word of mouth army to reach more people more quickly. The other thing, too, is that there is today an expectation of, um, 
It's interesting because if you go to a restaurant, you don't know what the food tastes like until you actually sit down and eat it. In the theater world, we now feel very compelled to give audience members a taste of the show before they've even seen it. And thanks to digital technology, we are able to capture portions of a show by video most often and and actually share that with an audience to entice them to come here. So there are lots of ways in which it affects our world. And, and, and I think, again... I do opine for the old days, but I do think it has actually helped us quite a bit. The other thing that has been really beneficial for us is shopping. There was a time even when I first came here where the props department or the costume department would have to travel as much as 45 minutes away, sometimes an hour and a half away, to find the perfect costume piece or the perfect prop. And now, thankfully, we can just open the computer, order it, and it's here in two days. That's certainly affected the workflow and also the productivity of the workers here. Amazon. I didn't want to name it. It's changing the world. But yes. <laughs> we all know. I see a lot of streaming sites lately or just like advertisements for streaming because I love musicals. So I'm definitely a targeted person for them. Uh, just like where you can just watch a Broadway show on YouTube or like on your TV at home. Do you think that sort of thing is kind of hurting theater, especially on a local level? I don't really know the answer to that question. I, th I think for a lot of people that don't have access to theater, it actually maybe is the thing that gets them excited about it. So that when an opportunity presents itself in a tiny little town just down the road from where they live, they realize, okay, I've been watching these illegal bootleg videos on YouTube of Wicked, uh, why don't I actually go see one live and in person? So I think it maybe doesn't hurt us in that way. There are major arts organizations that have figured out a way to simulcast their shows. For example, you can go to a movie theater sometimes and see a simulcast of the current opera at the Met uh, or uh, one of the productions at the National Theater in London. That is a way to see that work. What it robs you of is the the essential element that makes the theater so powerful for me is being in the room with all of the people whose laughs, claps, coughs actually do affect the work that's happening on stage. I talk about this probably more than anybody wants to hear, but the fact that we have the opportunity to gather a diverse group of people turn off the lights on them and uh, allow them to have a shared experience where we actually all feel like we're on the same team is a rare experience in the world that we're living in today. And I do think the severing of that particular part of the, the theatrical relationship between the stage and the audience does diminish the power of the work. That said, it may be that that is the only access someone has to the theater. And I guess something is certainly better than nothing. I know that I've definitely watched a lot of uh, ripped off YouTube videos of Wicked personally, so I felt that. But it hasn't kept you from wanting to see it live. Oh, no, 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 no. Especially not if India Mazel is involved. But so this is kind of might seem kind of out of left field, but this kind of pertains to both of your professions. I've seen a lot about holograms with theater and in museums lately. Is that something either of you have like thought about or have any opinions on? Well, we have, we've talked about it, not, not holograms so much, um, although that's certainly something to consider, but some figures that would have audio uh, that when a person came into a room that wasn't necessarily manned by a, a human volunteer or staff person, then they could um, interact in a way with this 
character and and see their their dress and appearance and and hear their story. So that is something that we have have looked into, and I think will be in our future in some of our some of our buildings. And I would say on our end. Uh, as a former living, breathing actor, I certainly wouldn't want to be replaced by a, a hologram necessarily. And there are so many actors that need work that I, I, it's hard for me to imagine a world where that played a major role in, in what we do particularly. That said, I could certainly imagine a situation where a certain special effect was required, where maybe a ghostly appearance would be benefited by the use of holograms. And in fact... Dolly Parton, uh, in the Dollywood version of A Christmas Carol that they do every year, actually does appear as a hologram in her show. So like all things that exist on our planet, Dolly Parton has already done it. I don't really foresee that being a major part of theatrical work, but you know, there, there was a time 10 years ago that I didn't know how important video projection would be either. So it, it, it's, I, I don't see it in the forecast, but who knows? Cool. I have another question for both of you. We, Otelco, brought fiber optic internet to the town of Arrow Rock. Have you guys seen any changes in the community or in your own organizations since fiber optic internet has been there? I think for us, a lot of what we do, the programs we use in in our office, they're cloud-based. So having good, reliable internet service is essential for everything from uh, bookkeeping to donor management to just communications. But also it's been helpful for the citizens of our town in terms of being able to use streaming services, other things that were just kind of beyond our reach before. So that's been a, a nice benefit of that. And I think the benefit is almost completely parallel at the Lyceum. Uh, the faster speed internet that, that fiber provides us allows us to be more efficient. It allows us to work quicker. And often we have 416 people in the, in the building to enjoy the show, and that doesn't count the 50 people on stage or backstage making the show happen. All of those people at some point while they're here, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, want to access the Internet, again, because cell phone service is largely non-existent uh, in Arawak. And so we do make public Wi-Fi available to our audience. Uh, that wouldn't really be possible at the level we're able to provide it uh, if it weren't for the, for the fiber. And that, that I think, is a, a, a very important thing. And, and we, we believe that in addition to making all of our uh, cloud-based box office and development software function well, we really like the idea of our audience being connected to the outside world while they're here so that they are able to communicate how much they're enjoying the show as they're enjoying it. Well, not as they're enjoying it, after they've enjoyed it. We, we tell them to turn off the phones while it's happening. You don't want anyone live tweeting the performance. We've yet to have that happen. Great. Well, before we wrap things up, we usually like to ask the crystal ball question, just where do you guys see technology going in your industries? What's next? The way we serve our, our education programs is that children come to us. Uh, we, we do a series of about six weeks of spring education programs where we bring classrooms of children here and we give them hands-on history lessons. There is no better way to do that, that's a memorable experience for them to be able to write with a quill pen and actually 
do chores and things that, that kids in the 1800s would have done. But the reality is that many schools are limited in their funding and their ability to bring children to us. So we are looking way, for ways to bring Arrow Rock to them. And I think that technology is going to serve us very well in that um, through video, through streaming, through all sorts of, of delivery systems that we're beginning to explore uh, for ways to bring our education programs into the classroom, give them a rich experience that will be in its own way as memorable as it would be if they came here, but to be able to take care of those kids that just can't get to us. I think that people have worried for years that theater audiences are dying. And I always find that so interesting because if you go back to the around the time that the Friends of Arrow Rock and the Lyceum were born uh, and look at a photo of the opening night crowd of the Music Man on Broadway, it's not a young audience. So I think our challenge moving forward is always to make sure that whatever age an audience discovers the theater, that they are discovering it. I think probably the biggest change on our end is going to be dealing with a potential audience that is digitally native as opposed to geezers like us. We will have to reach them in a very different way uh, than, uh, than we maybe have reached our current audience. And that does involve using mechanisms like, like streaming, video shares, making sure that they have all of the exciting and inciting tools that they need to understand how the theater will benefit them. I think the uh, this is not necessarily a digital step, but making sure that programming does appeal to that audience is also critical, and making sure they understand why that programming will appeal to them is probably the dig digital component of it. I think that's going to be a, a, a big part of our world, particularly knowing that, you know, eventually in maybe 20 years uh, or over the course of 20 years, we will have an audience that has only ever known a digital world. And that will be a, a paradigm shift for arts organizations uh, throughout the world. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, I'm a big fan of Arrow Rock. I have not gone yet, but I've researched them it's a lot through the Arrow Rock website, the Friends website. So thank you for that, Sandy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Hey, Kendra, thanks for pinch hitting. We'll head back to Alabama next time and talk with Robbie McAlpine about how digital evolution has impacted broadcast radio and the advertising industry. As always, thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Let us know if you know of a business that we should include in a future podcast. Mm -hmm.